Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. You've got Kajula looking for the activating nurse. He's got him to win it. Nurse shoots and scores. Darnell Nurse. Riley takes the snap, settles into the pocket. He's got some time. Now he's going deep, looking down the sidelines. Oh, what a catch. And that's going to be a touchdown all the way to the end zone for Darrell Walker. An absolute bomb. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. Happy Friday. This is Inside Sports. Brendan Ulrich with you in for Reed Wilkins tonight. Oh boy. The Eskimos losing last night. We'll talk all about that here very shortly with our in-game analyst, Blake Dermott, who will join us as he does after every Eskimo game. He'll join us here in a couple of minutes. Also on the program tonight, Jack Michaels will join us. He's in Hawaii. Man, this guy has it good. He was just uh, at Wimbledon not too long ago. Now he's in Hawaii. So life as uh, the play-by-play voice of the Edmonton Oilers is pretty good. We will also be joined by Reed Wilkins at some point in the program as well. So lots to uh, get to. It's a busy night in the world of sports. You have Canada taking on the U.S. in the semifinals at the Alinka Gretzky Cup. That game gets underway in about an hour over at Rogers Place. We also have a big Western, or a big game in the CFL. I was going to say a Western Division showdown, but it's not. But it is a big game for the Eskimos as they see what Winnipeg does tonight against Hamilton. The Eskimos are 5-3 and three right now, one game up on Winnipeg for second in the West Division. And uh, for me, well, here I am tonight, uh, hosting Inside Sports for Reed Wilkins. One week into sales, and I need a break, so I'm back uh, on the air. So let's get right to it. We're joined uh, by Blake Dermott. Blake, how are you doing, my man? I'm doing fine, thanks. Thanks for having me on. No, it's great to talk to you because uh, you know the game better than anyone else. So uh, basically, I'm just going to sit here and listen to you talk about uh, football, and it's going to be great. But let's start with uh, what happened last night, Blake. Um, You know, a good start for the Eskimos. We've been talking about these slow starts all season. They certainly uh, started quick last night, scoring on the first drive. They were uh, in full control, you know, heading into half. And then after that, BC takes over. So in your mind, what happened uh, in that game? Was it the Eskimos sort of uh, doing everything wrong in the second half, or did BC just amp it up a bit, or big time? Well, I, I, um, I don't think you just... You, uh, as a as a team in in, in professional sports, just uh, stop playing and give a game away. I think the other team has a lot to do with it. I think when you look at uh, what um, 
what Edmonton was able to do to BC in the first half was very similar to what BC did to Edmonton in the second half. I just think that the uh, the Lions had an opportunity at halftime to make the adjustments, and, and Edmonton had uh, seemingly had their way a little bit with uh, BC in the first half. And you look at the score, I mean, with the exception of that, the kickoff or the punt return for a touchdown. And, I mean, you take a look, too, uh, when, when uh, Jones intercepted that ball and goes 70 yards the other way, I mean, that was BC... Uh, knocking on the doorstep. So I, I think maybe maybe Edmonton had a little bit of a false sense of how, how well they were playing at that point. And, uh, and going into half, they kind of maybe felt that, well, okay, this team is just going to give up on us because uh, what we're doing is, is working. And uh, then reality sets in. They got some pretty good coaches over there in BC, and they made some adjustments and uh, made it real difficult for Edmonton to, to win a game when you only get two, uh, two offensive yards in the, the third quarter and, and you don't get your first first down until halfway through the fourth quarter. And, you know, uh, uh, it, when, when at the end of the game, too, we listened to Mike Riley throw himself on the sword, which is what a lot of times really good leaders do. And, but the reality is, last week I would say that Mike had a bad game. Mike played one of the worst games that he's played. I don't think Mike had a terrible game this game. Now, when you lose a game and you lose like they did and not have any offense, a lot of it, your fingers get pointed at the quarterback and not making decisions like he's supposed to. But I think this was a real tough game for the offensive line. And uh, if there was one area of the Eskimos that, that contributed the most to this loss, it would have been, I think, the offensive line play. And, and, but it, one of the things I've got to, I guess I've got to add a little bit to that is that I played in BC Place. I played in Dome Stadiums. I, kn- I know what it's like. It's really noisy. It's really difficult uh, to hear the snap count, uh, to hear corrections, to hear line calls, those kinds of things, because the, the crowd really gets whipped up. And now, although it wasn't a big crowd, it just it, it sounds a lot larger than it typically is. Um, and I think that created some problems for the offensive line last night with some communication. I mean, the second play of the game. Uh, Colin Kelly gets beat off the ball so badly by Lemon, like he's not even out of his stance, and Lemon's already by him. Uh, you look at how uh, 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 O'Donnell had trouble where guys were into him before he could ever get a jam. He's six foot eleven, three hundred and forty pounds. His arms are about two yards long, and he never got his arms extended on guys because they were in him too quickly because they were moving at the snap of the ball. And O'Donnell, of course, being in a tackle position, you're not looking at the center. You're sort of angled away from it. I think he, that impacted the way he was able to get off the ball. I thought the tackles had tough days last night. And that, you know, Riley got hit three times. The uh, sack three times got hit, I don't know, double digits anyways. It was the worst beating that he had taken in uh, in probably a couple of years. So, So I think... The offensive line contributed to, uh, the, uh, in large part, to sort of the breakdown of the offense in the second half. Yeah, I'm glad you brought uh, the offensive uh, line up, Blake. That's where I was going to go next anyways. And, um, you know, to me, a lot of the times, Mike Riley can make the O-line look good because he can, uh, you know, avoid pressure a lot of the time and extend plays with his legs. And uh, you look at uh, the offense line against Saskatchewan, it wasn't great. The Eskimos won, but last night they lose. So now we're like, okay, I don't know. Is there a problem with the offensive line? Because they haven't really ran the ball that great all season either. They get away from it a lot too. Uh, but to me, what changed, uh, you know, in the trenches last night? Because BC all of a sudden just looked... Like, uh, they just had all this pressure at all times, and the Eskimos couldn't really get anything going on offense. So you know that position very well, having played it for years, uh, Blake. So, like, what changes at the half? Like, what was Wally Bolano talking about in the room that allowed BC to just come out guns a-blazing in the second half? 
Well, I think one of the things that they did, and uh, I remember when Wally was coaching Calgary, and, and this is what their defensive line did. We had a mobile court. We always had mobile quarterbacks with Damon Allen and Tracy Hams and Matt Dunnigan. And what they what they did was is they they didn't necessarily. The only time teams seem to get in trouble with when you've got a quarterback and Riley, I would say, is fairly mobile. You know, is if your ends push so far upfield that they that you they get run by the quarterback and create lanes. And what I saw last night with, with uh, Willis and Lemon was that they were pushing up field, and, and if they could beat a guy outside the edge, they did, but they were pushing up and squeezing at the same time. Like, I don't know if Matt O'Donnell uh, and, uh, and Kelly had more bull rushes in a game than what they had last night. So it wasn't about trying to beat the guy line scrimmage. It was trying to push back, push back, and then get push in the middle and basically take away the area where Riley could escape. And he didn't get outside very often. He, he only was able to step up and get yardage a couple of times. It's very smart. It wasn't about, you know, it's, it's like a, um, um, that old golf saying that if you, if you play, if you play uh, uh, bogey golf, or it's amazing how many pars you're going to get. And last night, I don't think BC was, was dead set on getting a ton of sacks, but it's amazing how many sacks you get when you play disciplined in your lanes, and that's exactly what they did. Uh, now, of course, there was uh, some other things. It wasn't you know, every play an offensive line problem. I mean, C.J. Gable gets, gets beat badly for that fumble down in, on Edmonton's 10-yard uh, line there. Uh, so it wasn't always offensive linemen having struggles. But again, I think that's one of those situations where playing in the dome and the noise makes it very hard to communicate and hear the snap count. And so you're, sometimes uh, you're, you're, you're not set when they're moving, and, and that creates a little bit of a problem. But, that, but that's what you have to do. That's why you practice with music. That's why we used to play where we you've essentially held hands with guys. So as soon as one guy moved, then the other guy knew he could move. And, and, uh, and one guy would watch the center. There's different ways to be able to handle that. But uh, uh, as professional football players in, in any league, that's what you have to do, and I don't think the Eskimos were prepared for, for what they saw in that second half and the adjustments that BC made to them. I was uh, driving uh, in from uh, Global TV uh, before the show, Blake, and I was listening to Brian Hall talk about how the Eskimos, uh, you know, <laughs> have been uh, going for the big play a little bit too much on, on offense. And to me, I get why they are, because they have so many playmakers that can make those plays a lot of the time. Um, but where do you come out on uh, on that front? Are they, they trying, are they relying on the big play too much? W- would you simplify things? What do you think about the play calling overall? Well, Oh, in the in the I guess the amount of time that I've been around um, Riley and uh, and Coach Moss, uh, both of these guys both of these guys uh, understand uh, the type of football they want to play, and the type of football they want to play is we want the ball in our hands more than they have it in their hands. So they're not they're not playing a two and out kind of a game where they go deep and hope they score and then, then they punt. They it, they they're playing a, a ball possession type of an offense, and that's what they preach. If you've got the ball for the majority of the game, how's the other team ever going to have it long enough to score points? So the thought that all they want to do out there is to go for the deep ball and live and die that way, I don't think that's accurate. I think what happens is, is that, much like when they played Hamilton earlier this year, Hamilton said, we're going to give you that deep ball, we're going, to, we're going to take away all the short stuff and make you throw the deep ball, which is a higher percentage, or I'm sorry, lower percentage pass, less opportunity to make that pass, and you've got to make that pass accurate. Otherwise, you're, you're, you're turning the ball over. And, 
And I think BC did a lot of that. They played really tight down low, forced them to go deep, and relied on their people up front getting enough pressure. How many times did Riley have got rid of the ball last night where his arm was either getting hit or a hand was in his face or he was taking a helmet under the chin just as he was releasing the ball? And that impacted what they were doing, uh, uh, what their success rate was on offense because they took away the short stuff, only had the long, the deep stuff, so that means Riley's got to hang on to it for a little bit, a little bit longer, and then the pressure got to him. So I don't think that, that was, that's something that the Eskimos were designed. Uh, every play that they have is a deep, uh, uh, is a deep option. And, and if, you're, if they're going to give you a deep option, you're going to take it. But Riley, I think, would much rather throw the, 15, the 10 to 15-yard throw and let his receivers uh, make, the, uh, make the plays and get, extend the play with yards. I don't think there, uh, there isn't a team in professional football that wants to come in there and just throw deep balls. So, so that's, that's why I said earlier, I think BC had a lot to do with how, what happened with the Eskimos last night and how well they played. Yeah, that's a great point. And, uh, you know, they have so many talented players as well. So it, it, like a, a lot of the time it works too. So, I mean, I get why Riley throws it up and goes for the deep, the deep play at, at times when, uh, when there's nothing else there either. So it makes sense to me. And uh, to me, the Eskimos are okay. Like, it's, they're 5-3. and three. We're still early uh, in this season. Uh, for you, Blake, when does a team really start to, you know, start clicking, firing at all cylinders? Because, like, we're still early. And football, is a, it's, it's a lot of adjustments, and you, it seems like eventually it clicks for the good teams at some point. Not every team is Calgary and the CFL or the Patriots uh, in the NFL that just have it going on all the time, right? Like, it takes time for a lot of these teams to, to figure it all, all out. Of course, uh, Jason Moss is back calling plays this year. He wasn't last year, so maybe that uh, is a little bit... Uh, of a difference, the defense is starting to come around. But to you, from your experience playing, when does a team actually, you know, get it going? Is it Labor Day, or is that too far out the uh, window? Well, you know, it, it really doesn't. Uh, I think it, if if there was a set of rules that teams could follow, everybody would follow them. And uh, you know, I mean, you, you, the, the look at the history of the CFL, and uh, you don't have to go too far to see. Teams that have nine and nine records uh, go and uh, win Grey Cups, or teams that had a four and twelve record, like the Ottawa uh, uh, Rough Riders in 1980, made it to the Grey Cup and almost beat the Eskimos, uh, who were in their uh, fourth year of, or sorry, third year of three in a row, or the five in a row, and the most dominant team in, in probably in the history of the CFL, and, and Ottawa almost beat them. You know, and Saskatchewan beats Hamilton in 1989, and we're 16 and two. And uh, you know, so and, and Saskatchewan was eight and eight that or nine and nine that year. So there's, it doesn't really. There, there, I don't think there's any um, template for it. But if it was me, I would like to be able to go into the, to the playoffs. If, let's say if in your last five games, the last six games, I'd want to be uh, five and one, four and two. I'd want to be because those are the games that seem to matter and, and, and make sense. Uh, near the end, so that you get used to playing in those kinds of conditions, playing when the games are incredibly important, playing when there's a lot of things on the line. And uh, but uh, you're right. At this time of the year, it, you're playing for you're playing for playoff position. So every game matters. And when you're playing against a team like Calgary and you give them a three-game cushion, now that really makes it difficult because now you've got to you've got to. Uh, 
you can't catch them. They have to come back to you. So you have to count on them having breakdowns and injuries and things like that. And, and sometimes uh, uh, that's, that's not the easiest thing to do because it's not in your, it's not in your hands, it's not in your destiny. But if, you're, if, if the team is playing hot at the end of the season, uh, that's the team that I want to be looking at. And, and when I, you, know, you look at Calgary in the last two years and how, how well they've dominated the CFL, how many great cups do they have to show for it? Yeah, great point. Just uh, before I let you go, Blake, um, live mics. I know a lot of the uh, Eskimo live mic games have uh, been the home games so far this season, and uh, we're, of course, uh, at the stadium. So it was uh, a joy last night for me to, to watch the game and just, you know, see Mike Riley operate, and especially when he's under fire. Like, he gets fired up, and uh, I love I loved watching it. I don't know about you. As a former player, I'm sure it sort of brings you back uh, to your playing days a little bit, being able to, to hear the live mics. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, like you were saying, I've, I've heard from some people that uh, uh, Larry Ruck, uh, defensive player, great defensive player, played with, uh, saw the live mic game that we were doing at home, and he, and he said, I'd never, I was never in an offensive uh, huddle. He says, I loved it. And, and he says, I, and I, no wonder guys uh, um, on the team respect Mike Riley so much because of how positive he was and how, you know, the way he, he controlled the huddle. So I wanted to hear that last night, and that was really that was really interesting and cool to see, and, and uh, uh, yeah, it brings me back. Um, um, you know, not everybody is that way. Not all the guys that I ever played with were that comforting. I mean, some of the guys, you know, had a whip, and uh, and and that worked for them, and that worked for us. And and it's just interesting to see the the way they call plays now, and the, the way they, you know, when we used to call them a lot different. There's a lot of terminology, and when you when you think they just like they blurt out 15 words, and every word has a meaning to somebody, and. And uh, and if you try to decipher it, if you you know even if you're sitting there, there's there's certain phrases that you can understand as you know somebody who had played before. But man, the the codes that they're using now, it's it's uh, it's really intricate, and I I really enjoyed listening to that. Who do you have tonight? Uh, big game, Winnipeg and uh, Hamilton. Well, I got a feeling Winnipeg, uh, with their balanced attack, is uh, is going to win this one. But uh, but you know Hamilton uh, Hamilton came off a pretty big win last week against Toronto or sorry against Montreal and and. Uh, for me, for the West, I, I think if you're if you're a fan of the Eskimos, you want to see uh, Hamilton come up with a big game against Winnipeg. And uh, um, but if you're uh, you know a fan of the West, uh, the Western Conference, you won't see Winnipeg play. I, I would like to see Hamilton win, but I, I got a feeling uh, Winnipeg's uh, just starting to get into that uh, that that role and flow that they need to at this point in the season. Well, Blake, uh, thanks for taking some time tonight. Uh, you'll do it again likely next Monday with Ree, but we'll see you uh, on Saturday when the Eskimos host Montreal. Have a good weekend. Thanks, Blake. That's Blake Dermott, former Edmonton Eskimos offensive lineman, and uh, he is part of our broadcast here on 630 Ched as our Inside the Game analyst. You can hear him on every pre- uh, and post-game show and uh, also at the half. And uh, Blake knows football, and I love uh, getting the chance to uh, talk to him after a tough loss for the Eskimos last night. It's 623 in Edmonton. We will take a timeout, and we'll come back and uh, get you up to date on what's going on in the world of sports. There's lots going on tonight. We have a CFL game, the semifinal at the uh, Halinka Gretzky Cup, round two of the PGA Championship, some baseball action. We'll update you on all of that when we get back here on Inside Sports. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Ched. Back here on Inside Sports, 627 in Edmonton. Brendan Ulrich with you. We have Jack Michaels coming up after the 630 News. Reed Wilkins will pop by 
We will also uh, hear from Glenn Galtson, who was on Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer yesterday. He had some interesting comments about the Oilers' style of play and how things are likely going to change next season with a bunch of uh, new voices in uh, the room with three new assistant coaches joining Todd McClellan. So we'll break down that as we move forward. A quick text from Terrence from Red Deer. He says, BU, just turned the radio on. Delightfully surprised to hear your voice. Good luck with the rest of the show. Thanks, Terrence. They were stuck big time, so they had to call me. And I made the uh, short track over from uh, Global, our sister, you know, operation over there on the TV side. So I'm working back and forth uh, these days. And uh, I, I still get the chance to uh, host every once in, a, once in a while whenever they want me to. So Reed uh, asked me to tonight, and uh, I was honored. So I'm in studio. Patrick is here as well tonight. Patrick, uh, we bring you aboard here quickly before we get to the break. How are you doing? I'm well. Very well. Yourself? Not bad. What's going on with all this smoke outside? Yeah, man. I went downtown and dropped my girlfriend off. And, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Don't say no, old lady. Not, not going to open up that cat of worms. But, uh, but no, it's terrible downtown, man. Absolutely terrible. That's a bit of an inside joke. Well, let me uh, get to that uh, after the news maybe, and explain maybe why. Maybe after, after 7 p.m. <laughs> yeah, after certain people have gone to bed. <laughs> it is smoky, though, and I couldn't believe how smoky it was when I was uh, heading over here. And uh, a picture that Nate in Vegas, a good follow on uh, Twitter, just tweeted from uh, downtown right now, uh, the host of the gretzky Alinka Cup over at Rogers Place. It's crazy. So yeah. everyone drives safe tonight uh, as it gets darker out, and uh, hopefully the smoke uh, sort of uh, fades away as we get. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply of the weekend but uh, it's 6 29 we need to uh get to a news update with thomas dias when we come back jack michaels from hawaii you're listening to inside sports with reed wilkins on edmonton sports leader 6 30 chat Back here on Inside Sports, Brendan Ulrich in for Rita Wilkins tonight. Patrick Bauer behind the glass. A smoky Friday evening here in uh, Edmonton. So uh, stay safe out there. Uh, we will have Jack Michaels, the play-by-play voice of the Edmonton Oilers, uh, joining us here very shortly. Some guests on Inside Sports receive gift certificates to Northern Chicken. Enjoy a cold craft beer or a great glass of bourbon with a modern soul food and other tasty treats at Northern Chicken, 10704 124th Street. And I know our next guest is a big fan of Northern Chicken. It's Jack Michaels. Jack, how are you doing? <laughs> you have me pegged, Brendan, as usual. Yes, uh, guilty as charged. Well, I know Reed took you there uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, it, by the sounds of it, he told me you enjoyed it, and uh, he gave me a gift card, too, and I really enjoyed it. So who doesn't enjoy Northern Chicken? It's great. Yeah, no, absolutely. How you doing, man? Oh, not bad. I'm sure you're doing better. You're over in Hawaii. How's that going? 
That's fantastic. Uh, and it sounds like I escaped the smoke. I, I thought the smoke was dissipating when I left, but apparently... It's back with a vengeance. Oh, yeah. Tonight's uh, really bad. And uh, people downtown right now heading out for uh, the semifinals for uh, Canada and the U.S. may have some uh, trouble finding Rogers Place. Like, it's really bad out there, especially uh, here on the south side and downtown. So stay safe out there tonight. But uh, I know you're in Hawaii. Weren't you just in Wimbledon? You must have a pretty sweet uh, off-season schedule here, Jack. I try to keep myself busy, and, uh, you know, we don't have traveling during the season. I figure I just won't keep it up during the off-season, so I stay in the groove. But You're training, yes, worse, getting ready. Exactly. There are worse things uh, than the view I have right now, which is uh, looking out at Waikoloa Beach and the Big Island, Hawaii, where, as you know, there was some volcanic activity earlier this summer, but no volcano, no, no hurricane to be found. Instead, just sunny skies beautiful soap and uh you know kind of a farewell to summer because when i get back uh before we know it we'll be doing uh some rookie tournament coverage and then uh and then it's off to europe absolutely yeah no kidding uh, the europe trip coming uh, up fast and furious uh by the way we'll get to the oilers uh right off the bat here because uh, i don't know you're in hawaii so i'm not sure how much you're probably not listening to to Bob at all, and uh, that's a good one. You work with him enough during the season. I know you're not listening to his show in the offseason here, Jack, but uh, he did have uh, Glenn Galton on the program yesterday, and uh, Glenn was talking about some visible changes in style of play for the Oilers. He didn't dig deep into uh, what exactly he was talking about, but uh, he did sort of hint that they want to be faster. And uh, he says five-on-five play, they're going to change a lot of things that speed up the rate at which they play. So we don't know exactly what he means, but that is the trend right now around the NHL speed and uh, playing faster. So the way I look at this is at least we're hearing, uh, you know, a fresh voice in uh, the dressing room in Glenn Galtzen, and uh, the other coaches will have uh, some input too. It sounds like Glenn was saying that Todd had a, a big idea too that he brought to the table. So you have four experienced coaches, all from different areas of hockey, in the in the same room, and uh, it should lead to some exciting play on the ice for the, this Oilers team, you would think. Well, you know, having known Gully for nearly 20 years and, and having seen him as a player, and then uh, being on – I never covered a team, you know, through all 72 games, as the case was back in the minors, that he was coaching. But I certainly uh, saw enough of his teams six or seven times during the regular season, a couple of playoff series. And the one thing Glenn Gullison's teams were always known for was the ability to transition the puck from the back end of the forwards uh, at lightning speed. And I think what he's alluding to, and probably what Todd has also brought to the table, which is why Gully was quick to deflect credit toward Todd, is at times last season, and I don't know whether it was they had a couple guys coming off injury, they had a couple guys playing hurt, but I think at times uh, the Oilers' defense were guilty of hanging on to the puck too long in their own zone. And in some cases, actually backtracking inside their own blue line, having to restart, we saw a few goals again, uh, produced off turnovers in their own end after they had kind of backtracked into their own end. And that's something I know Edmonton wants to get out of this game. So, And I believe it or not, I did catch a good chunk of that conversation. I had a chance to read up a little bit more on it last night. And really, uh, you know, I don't think it's a big mystery. I think what Gullison's alluded to is, is ideally 
the puck getting into the forwards' hands as quick as possible. Because when you have the likes of Connor McDavid and Ryan Nugent Hopkins on one line, uh, Leon Dreisaitl, and you know whether it's a Kajulo or a Lucic uh, forming the bedrock of the second line scoring, and, and, and even Ryan Strom, a guy who can put up some numbers uh, from the third line position, you're going to want to get the puck in the forwards' hands as quickly as possible because you're never going to have, at least as presently constructed, a huge ceiling when it comes to high-end scoring from the back end. Yes, you might have an Oscar Clefbaum returning to form and putting up close to the 40 points that he accumulated a couple of years ago, but you're, you don't have guys, as I look at the roster, Brendan, I don't see a guy on the owner's back end that's necessarily going to put up 50 to 60 points. So what you need to realize is, all right, what are the strengths of what you know you do have? And certainly Clefbaum, Sacra, to a lesser extent, Chris Russell, Matt Benning, those guys do have the ability to move the puck and, and move the puck with some alacrity, with some speed. Uh, and, and the biggest thing I think Todd will be looking for is which of those defensemen can make lightning-quick decisions and get the puck in the forward's hands. And to a great extent, I believe that'll dictate whether or not Evan Bouchard plays beyond the nine games that he can without burning up a year of that entry-level deal. Is whether or not he's going to be able to make those decisions snap quick on the fly. And if he is, and if he's able to do it at a far greater rate than one of those maybe penciled-in third-pairing defensemen, Bouchard has the chance to stick with the National Hockey League club. That, I think, is going to determine his short-term future in Edmonton. Long-term, it's very bright. We know he's going to be back there, and I think Edmonton's hopes is that he might have a slightly higher ceiling than Oscar Clefbaum offensively, but in the short-term, I think his ability to remain with a club over the course of the season is the quick decisions that I think Gullison and the rest of the coaching staff will be looking for from the back end from the preseason on out. Yeah, no, I agree with you. You look at the uh, the changes uh, this off season, and you know the D is virtually the same, with the exception of Bouchard maybe coming in. They signed Gravel too. We'll see if he can, uh, you know, get into some games uh, this season as well. But if you're not going to change, you know, the roster, you have all these uh, coaches that are coming in with uh, some experience. You talked about Galtzin. Uh, you know, having success uh, in previous stints with his uh, back end and moving the puck. So it, it sounds like uh, you might as well use the voices and the experience in the room to try to make things better. And to me, it's exciting to hear things like this. It's just the off season, and uh, we don't know what's going to happen when uh, training camp and the season starts. But at least, uh, you know, these guys are open to new ideas, and that's how you get better because it seems like every year the NHL changes a little bit, and before it was big, uh, heavy hockey, now it's fast hockey, and eventually it's going to be something different likely moving forward as well. So with all these great hockey minds in the same room, it should lead to, uh, you know, this team being better, you would think. Well, and again, I, you know, I'm not pointing fingers at the previous coaching staff. There is a certain pedigree here. I mean, Glenn Gullison has coached, you know, in the National Hockey League as a, as a head coach. So is Trent Yanni. Uh, Manny Vivrios is coming off an extremely self- successful campaign in the Western Hockey League. And I think you've got guys that are not potentially done as far as their head coaching experience at the NHL or other levels. I think all three of the guys, quite frankly, in Gullitz and Yanni and Vibrios, I think they'll eventually be head coaches at some level 
you know, in, in the very near future, within the next five years. I don't think the Oilers are going to latch on to all three of those guys. I don't think they're going to be able to keep that staff intact. And that's a good thing. I, I think you want coaches that ultimately are in demand. You want coaches with a great breadth of experience. And, you know, with major junior and minor pro and Vibrios and Gullison and Trent Yanni. I mean, the biggest thing that you'll see out of Yanni, I, I, I think, is a little bit more development amongst the defense, uh, both 5-on-5 five five and PK. Everyone looks at the PK, but, you know, general 5-on-5 five five play, I think I think Trent Yanni is, is going to be urging Sacra to get right back on his toes and right back to the guy he was, you know, prior to Game 5 of that Western Conference semifinal against Anaheim. Uh, you know, people forget. I mean, Sekra was an extremely valuable player for that hockey club. Uh, he's coming off a major injury. He never quite got up to speed last year, and I think part of that, Brendan, is any player coming off an injury that's, you know, coming in midway through the season, you're so far behind. I mean, you're you're in training camp, and everyone else is in the middle of the campaign. So that, for me, is the key. Uh, guys like Clefbaum and Sekra now healthy. Uh, can they return to their form of two years ago? And if they can, and along with some solid starts early from Cam Talbot, I think that's going to dictate a great deal of where the Oilers uh, are looking at this season because there's no reason to believe that this club can't get right back into the thick of things in what I expect will be the most wide-open race in all the divisions of the National Hockey League. I think the Pacific Division might not be the best division, Brendan, but I think... And, in fact, I bet on it that it's going to be the most entertaining race. Yeah, no, I think uh, that's fair. Um, I think Calgary's improved, uh, but so we think the Oilers will be improved too. Will San Jose take a step back? We don't know. Will uh, the Kings take a step forward with Kolvachuk? Uh, it should be a lot of fun. The Ducks, will they How take a step Anaheim? back? I mean, yeah, Anaheim, I don't know about the Ducks. You know what? I think Arizona has a chance to siphon off some points and, you know, if you look at the Pacific Division very closely last year, I think there was a team, I think Vegas had 109 points, and then the other two clubs were just over the century mark. And I think with Arizona's improvement combined with Edmonton's improvement, I think you're going to see those teams come back a little bit. I think you're going to see some teams take a step forward, and I really like the moves that Calgary made. I'm not quite sure where Carolina's going, but I like Calgary's direction in terms of that big trade they made with Carolina, and if Mike Smith stays healthy, I'm telling you, this is my this is my prediction that I I think sounds crazy to a lot of people that you're going to have six 90 point teams in the Pacific Division, but none above 100. I really think there's a good chance of that, and that's why I'd be really surprised, Brent, if with two weeks to go in the season, we weren't vastly entertained with all the prospects and all the intriguing possibilities of the Pacific Division race. I think it's going to come down to the last 14, 15 days of the year, and I think we're going to have a whale of a time to bring it. Yeah, you know what? Now that you mention that, that's not that crazy of a thought because it, it, all those teams are, are dead even. So we'll see what happens uh, when the season starts. Just quickly uh, on Darnell Nurse, Jack, because uh, Peter Shirelli did uh, have some comments on Nurse, and uh, despite Nurse not being signed yet, he didn't seem concerned about that at all. Uh, we are seeing RFA still sign here late into the offseason. Dylan Larkin just signed an extension today with uh, the Detroit Red Wings. So uh, eventually Nurse will get done. But what do you think the holdup is here, and is there any reason to be concerned? I don't think so. I mean, you know, we were saying the same kind of thing about Drysaddle. Look, 
you know, it, there's not a great deal of urgency. Uh, I think if we're still talking about this heading into the last week of September, then it's a news item. I think with RFAs, uh, it, it's all about just the general scope of things and, and timing-wise. And like a lot of like a lot of different businesses, I think the priorities you know in the summertime can change. I think everyone's schedules are a little bit different. And in some cases, Brendan, I think some of these contract details come down to, hey, I'm just getting back from this. I'm just taking care of this. Let's get to the table and hammer this out. I mean, like everyone else in the summer. Uh, these people tend to scatter. It, it, it's, you know, and, and as amazing as it sounds to say, is guys like Peter Shirelli and, and Darnell Nurse's management team and, and, you know, the players themselves, they do have lives. And, and sometimes when you're kind of finalizing some finite details on a contract, it can be a case of not everyone's schedule lining up. So I, I'm not at all concerned. I, I think uh, Peter would probably have betrayed a little bit of concern if he was at all concerned. I think it's a matter of just you know getting into the same round, uh, same room, and, and, and hammering out a few details, and, and this will be a non-issue. Uh, w- when it's an issue, that would that would be more towards the last week of September when there was a real time crunch uh, with the season opener in Sweden looming. But you know we're we're seven eight weeks away from that. Jack, I know you're in Hawaii, but the NFL preseason has started, um, and I know you're a big Cleveland Browns fan. And Browns got a big win yeah. over the Giants. Don't think I didn't notice for a minute. <laughs> well, the, I look at this roster, all the changes they made this offseason. Man, like I'm looking forward to seeing the Browns on the field in the regular season to see what they can do. Tyrod Taylor last night was good. Baker Mayfield, two touchdowns uh, as well. And then David Njoku, he looked great, the big tight end that they drafted last year. So there's a lot of talent there. Landry's in the mix. They have all these uh, pieces, but will it, uh, you know, result in W's on the field? Well, if you're asking me if the over-under is zero, I'll take the over. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, I can't possibly think that another 0-16 season is in store, but, you know, when you're, that's the one thing, if you're Hugh Jackson, you're 1-31, you've managed to retain your job. If you go 5-11, and you might as well start casting yourself in bronze for a trip to Canada. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, look, I'm not going to get ahead of myself. There have been more seasons than I care to remember where I've been exceedingly optimistic. Even a few years ago, uh, our colleague Bob Stoffer will tell you I was crowing about the Browns getting Manziel with, I believe, the 22nd pick. Uh, but he didn't turn out as well as Jordan Eberle did, that's for sure. So I'm going to save my optimism for maybe mid to late October. But if they're sitting 3-3 three and three or – Dare I say it, four and two, Brendan. I'm going to start making my plans for the Super Bowl. (laughs) Oh, well, we'll see what happens. Uh, I think they'll be, you know, that division might be wide open this year as well. If the Steelers can take a, you know, a little step back, maybe the Browns can uh, get in the mix. We'll see what happens. Uh, I don't know. It should be a fun NFL season. Um, I don't care about in the mix, Brendan. I just want to win. <laughs> there you go. That's fair. Well, we'll get a win. You can guarantee that. Um, what's on the docket tonight? Are you going to a luau or what? Uh, luau will be later in the week. Uh, tonight I'll be barbecuing and, and uh, you know getting things all lined up for the week ahead. We're just uh, kind of regrouping a little bit today. It's been a quiet beach and, and pool day, but I'll get after it and I think uh, there might even be a late afternoon hike in the offing for tomorrow, Brendan. I, you know, I, I got to keep my form. You know, I, 
I know that you're always uh, casting a critical eye on my appearance. So <laughs> I, I, I plan to report to training camp in shape, so I don't have to hear any guff from you. Well, I know you eat a lot of northern chicken, so uh, the hike <laughs> exactly. will help, so it's all good. you got to burn it off somehow, right? <laughs> all right, Jack, thanks for taking some time tonight uh, on your vacation. I really appreciate it. Always a pleasure, pal. Talk to you soon. There you have it. That's the play-by-play voice of the Edmonton Oilers, Jack Michaels, here on 630 Chet. We're late for the break. It's 6.52 in Edmonton. We'll take a timeout. When we come back, we'll update you on some CFL action tonight. We're a few minutes away from the semifinal at the Alinka Gretzky Cup from getting underway, so lots to get to after a short timeout. Your home for breaking news and expert opinion. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chet. Back here on Inside Sports. Happy Friday. The weekend just around the corner. Brendan Ulrich with you on Inside Sports. Patrick Bauer behind the glass as well. We have a hockey game over at Rogers Place uh, in a few minutes. The uh, semifinal at the Holinka Gretzky Cup will update you on that game throughout the evening. We also have a pretty good football game on right now. Uh, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers have just tied it against Hamilton 7-7 with 6.54 into, or left in the first quarter. Alex Green, a rushing TD for the Ticats, and Weston Dressler responding with a 10-yard touchdown pass from Matt Nichols. To me, this looks like a shootout in the making, so we'll keep updating you on that game as well. And if you're the Eskimos, you're cheering for Hamilton tonight because the Eskimos are 5-3 and three in second in the West, and uh, Winnipeg can tie the Eskimos Four second with the victory tonight. The Eskimos, by the way, back in action next Saturday against the Montreal Alouettes. And that should be good. Johnny Menzel in town to take on the green and gold. He also plays tomorrow, by the way, his second start with the Alouettes. It's 6.58 in Edmonton. We'll take a time out. When we come back, the regular host of this program, it will be Reed Wilkins. He'll stop by, but first, Thomas Dias has your 7 o'clock news update. Gear up for hunting season with Cabela's Fall Hunting Classic, the world's... 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.